Excuse me. 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 Hello, everybody, and welcome to Morgan Dorks. This is a bi-weekly Daria podcast where we take an in-depth look at our favorite animated teenage misanthrope episode by episode. I'm Rob Press. And I'm Nissa Lee. And today we are looking at Season 5, Episode 7, Artburn, in which Jane gets a gig as an art reproducer and might be involved in an international counterfeiting operation. Maybe. <laughs> Meanwhile, the fashion club commissions a caricature and things get ugly. Literally. <laughs> the episode, I know, I know. The episode aired on April 2nd, 2001 and was written by Dan Weber. This is the last of the Dan Weber episodes, with the other two being season three's Jake of Hearts, ranked 28, and season four's I Loathe a Parade, ranked nine. Yeah. So, kinda, so pretty yeah. high up there. Yeah, a little bit promising. Um, I'll go ahead and say ahead of time, I have no idea where we're going to land on this one. <laughs> Isn't that always the case, though? <laughs> uh, you know- Seems like it's always the case, but I'm like legitimately clueless going into this. So this, this well, should be maybe we'll talk ourselves into a that ranking. Seems to be, yeah, that seems to be how it goes for yeah. the most part. All right, should we get into our beat by beat? Yes, we should. Okay. What if one of these times I just said no? <laughs> Uh, the episode we, just stopped right I just, there. I just run the outro music and, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so good. Uh, should do that for our very last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone would be like, what? No, no. <laughs> but we've been with you for so long and now you do this to us. Total betrayal. Uh, just letting you guys know if it happens, it's Nissa's fault. All right. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> So we open with Mystic Spiral standing in a really nice gazebo in the Lane residence backyard. They're being filmed by Jane, who's accompanied by Daria, in an attempt to raise the existential drama of this promo video shoot, I guess. Uh, Jesse hits the switch on the fog machine they have tucked away in the background. It promptly spews toxic smoke, which makes the band evacuate, and that's good because the machine then explodes and takes the gazebo with it. The band's done because that's the most work they've done in years, and everybody retreats inside. Inside the Lane kitchen, it's revealed Jane's parents are currently in Greenland doing the, quote, walrus tusk fertility fetish carving thing, unquote, which we won't really ask any questions about ever whatsoever at all. Uh, out of nowhere, we get a blast from the past as Jane and Trent's brother Wind rolls in. He's having a disagreement of sorts with his wife and has decided to burden the rest of us with his drama. He barely has time to talk about it, though, because out of the kitchen window, he notices the gazebo has collapsed. He's beside himself because that's the gazebo their parents would take their newborn children out to decide their names. He insists it get fixed, and so Jane and Trent try to figure out what they're going to do to scrounge up some money. Trent suggests Jane sell some paintings at the town's Art in the Park Festival. She likes the idea, but insists that if she's going to get the money, he's going to handle the reconstruction, calling contractors, getting bids, materials, etc. That is... So much work for Trent. 
that is, yeah, you can already see the the flaw in the plan, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think he's he's really regretting the danger fog now, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions on the stellar track record of one Trent Lane's work ethic, but <laughs> I th- I think <laughs> this is the steamroller that's coming right at this plot. I I will say, you know, we get a fair amount of Trent in this episode. We're going to be quoting him a little bit. We're going to be talking about him more Just than a little, little bit. bit. Because Dan Weber does an amazing job with him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the very first bit you get of it here is when Jane asks him, how much money do you have? And Trent doesn't say anything. And Jane's <laughs> like, Trent. And he goes, I have none. So I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. And obviously, you know, here's here's wind again. And he's kind of intolerable on purpose. So, you know, whatever. But I got to say, it was a really nice looking gazebo. Yeah, I love a good gazebo. Yeah. Do you remember the gazebo in front of the Maze Landing um, library? I believe I do, yes. Yeah, I love that Man. gazebo. Know, good there's gazebos. just something, something about it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I just had to Google Greenland walrus tusk fetish. <laughs> Of course you had to. <laughs> I had to. I hope you used an incognito um, window because that's sticking with you, you forever. Know, I completely forgot to. So <laughs> I am <laughs> probably in some pretty terrible algorithms now. Um, <laughs> but it brought me to something really interesting that I'm probably going to mispronounce, but it's called Tupelac, um, which okay. is- it's it's the figure of an avenging spirit carved out of tusk or bone or made out of body parts and uh it's not just from green it's not just like hair or something like that right um <clears throat> teeth things like that um it's not just in greenland it's like in other places but i believe in greenland it's called tupelac and um and i i gave some examples uh, i think some examples for you to oh see. yeah we're they're gonna be really cool we're gonna be putting um, that in the show notes they're meant to destroy a specific enemy um oh my god this is <laughs> so it's not exactly a fertility thing but it is super cool the thing what is really cool about them is is that the belief is that they're dangerous magic work because if the enemy is a stronger magic worker than you they can turn the tupelac on back on you oh my god i know right (laughs) tupelac at (laughs) you yeah boom Uh, this is exactly the kind of thing that you would bring to the podcast. <laughs> yes. This is the kind of stuff I love. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is the most Nissa Lee show note <laughs> maybe since the, the pencil is a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's been a while, so it's I had to show up sometime. <laughs> oh my God. That's fantastic. That's super cool. I can't wait to I'm, – I'm definitely dropping that in the show notes, so – Please, everybody go check that out. It's super neat. And if anyone knows how to actually pronounce it, let me know. Because yes, I didn't look at the pronunciation. The pronunciation? Is that, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that works. <laughs> For some reason, I was like, is that a word? That's where my brain is tonight. <laughs> oh, I hear you. It's going to be, it's going to be a good episode. <laughs> yes. 
Um, at Art in the Park, we hear Puppy Love by Lil Bow Wow featuring Jagged Edge as the fashion club checks out a caricature booth. The group decides to get a portrait of themselves, and there's absolutely no way this goes badly. <laughs> Elsewhere, Mr. O'Neill and Ms. Barch are checking out crafts, but it's possible she's not the craft fair type. Uh, still elsewhere, Daria and Tom are perusing the grounds. They stumble across Jane's booth where she's having trouble selling anything. Her works are um, standing out, but not in the sold a ton at the craft fair kind of way. She's at least getting a whole lot of attention for a version of Van Gogh's Starry Night, which she painted upside down. Unfortunately, everybody's just telling her it's upside down. Back at the Lane residence, Trent seems to be actually trying to land some contractors, but he's having a tough time. We cut back to Art in the Park, where the fashion club is horrified to learn what a caricature is. Um, they pay the artist and storm off in a huff. Over at Jane's booth, things are looking pretty dire, although Jane's in good spirits. Right up until somebody rolls by and says he loves the Van Gogh. This is Gary of Gary's Gallery, who hires artists to paint reproductions of famous works and then sells those works and generously only pockets 60% of the profits. Generously. No, yeah. <laughs> no possible way this dude's a scumbag. But Jane's in need of a new gazebo, and we see the wheels turning as we go into the first commercial, again with Puppy Love by Lil Bow Wow featuring Jagged Edge. Uh, so we need so. to talk a little bit about these caricatures in the background, mm -hmm. <laughs> in the character booth. One's definitely Bill Clinton. So that's the former president of the United States in the 90s. And since this is early April of 2001, we would only be a few months into the first term of his successor, George W. Bush how innocent we all were. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, one of them is professional wrestling superstar Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> Which one? Which one was it? I so didn't it was see tough to see. I, I, should, I almost wrote it in here, but it was tough to see, but you might not recognize it because it looks like he, he almost looks black. <laughs> like, okay. It's, it's like, it's he's got a very, very he's got a much darker skin tone than the actual Stone Cold Steve Austin. But it's like uh -huh. if you look at it though, it is unmistakably Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> there was someone in a cowboy hat too. Yes, I, I could not quite pick up on who exactly that was. I, mm -hmm. I looked at that one for a while. There's also, I think, Diana, Prince of Wales, is back there. Possibly Princess of Wales. Princess of Wales. Sorry. <laughs> oh boy, oh, we just lost a bunch of. <laughs> oh dear. There go the UK listeners. Um, yeah, I think it's tough to say. It could have been Diana. It could have been Hillary Clinton. It's kind of like a toss-up. Just the lack of detail is, is makes it difficult. But you just yeah, kind of have to Bill go on. Clinton. Like, yeah, yeah. I uh, I applaud you for actually figuring those out because I spotted Diana, but and and Bill Clinton, but that was about it. Bill Clinton is definitely low hanging fruit for a caricature artist. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, have you, uh, had your caricature done at any point? I, I feel like not, this is no. something that like everyone needs to do at some point, right? Especially if you grow up near the shore, right? Like that's the, yeah. that's the so thing. So how you go have to you boardwalk. not done that at all? I just, I don't need that. I don't need the insecurities that would provoke. It. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only time I actually got it done and I completely forgot about this, but I got it done at a, um, a, a lock-in, um, after my high school graduation, <laughs> which was for me a miserable experience, but <laughs> okay, <laughs> because it's a lock-in with sure. your, you know, high school folks. Anyway, um, but 
I, I got a caricature done and my mom texts me <laughs> recently saying, hey, I found this. Do you want it? And she sent me a picture of it. I was like, no, just get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't bad, but just like, why do you still have that? <laughs> it's amazing what the moms hold on to. It really is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, well, Miss Barch uh, is, you know, complaining as she does about the the cute little mice at the craft fair being male mice and she makes a joke about one of them probably being a gynecologist cracked me up (laughs) uh and also as i was like typing cracking on in the show notes google autocorrected it to kraken oh boy (laughs) i know I know. I mean, it, there, there's. Mm. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like the Kraken. <laughs> yeah. Someone out there has done something about a Kraken gynecologist, but um, <laughs> that's outside the scope of this show and shall remain so. <laughs> oh my God, the possibilities. <laughs> Roughly eight of them. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. <laughs> My head's still on the jokes. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I say screw these craft craft fairgoers. Jane's artwork rules, and I would be picking up most of the things <laughs> that she had on sale in there. Oh, totally. Um, I'll also say I really miss craft fairs. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, I'm, I, I, I you know, might have heard in our in our pre show if you're a Patreon listener, but I'm I'm going to be moving to you know. Pittman, New Jersey, relatively soon, and it's a lovely little area that has an absolutely banging craft show. Yay! Uh, and I remember perusing that back when all of us lived in Pittman at one point. Um, yeah, yeah, I love craft shows, um, craft fairs, how whatever you want to call them. But um, like, I feel like you get a really good idea of the town by what is sold at craft fairs, even oh, yeah. even though the people themselves are usually not all from the town it just seems to kind of embody the town right um collingswood had several um there was there was one that that was held twice a year um outside like on the main drag and then there was one that was held in this like um like warehouse it's a coffee house up front and there's like rental space for artists in the back mm. uh and 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 like uh people who work with wood and stuff like that um so so in the back in that warehouse area they had a show and it was awesome yeah <laughs> i always love to go to those yeah um if oh, there man. were more artists like jane's at the crafts fairs i I would be broke. <laughs> yes, it would be a problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as bit Trent actually putting the work in and flipping through the phone book, but at one point just dialing nine one one and saying "Hello, paramedics, do you fix gazebos?" Yes, the panic of someone who doesn't do this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Of course, the paramedics will will help me. <laughs> You can see the logic, kind of. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so childlike. 
Uh, all right. Act two opens in Jane's room where she's working on a reproduction of Van Gogh's vase with 15 sunflowers. Daria wonders if maybe she's selling out, but Jane's argument is pretty simple. Money. At the site of the gazebo ruins, Trent greets the contractors. They seem pretty interested in not doing much of anything. They give Trent a quote of $500, then set about sitting and drinking beer. Elsewhere, the fashion club is gathered around the caricature and wondering if maybe they should get legal counsel to sue the caricaturist for slander. They vote to retain Helen's services. I love that we have to say caricature a bunch in this episode. Yeah, it's a fun word. That's another challenging word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having fun with it for now. I'm sure it will not stay that way throughout. Mm Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, like the fashion club's arc here feels like kind of superfluous. And I mean, I know eventually it goes somewhere, but at this point I was wondering like, is this really going anywhere? (laughs) Um, And really like each of the, and this is going to be kind of a recurring theme. Like each of these plot lines feels kind of weird. Like the episode just feels strange. Yeah. And um and I think you have a little more to say about that um, later, but generally I do think this is a very strange episode. Um, Daria is placed squarely in the supporting cast, which is okay. Like we've seen episodes like that before um, that work, but I think mm. there's something interesting going on in the commentary about different types of art between these two plot lines. Um if I'm not mistaken, this is Jane's first venture into profiting from her work that I remember. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I'm, I think so. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't sell a thing of her own work, but she gets an offer to reproduce uh, to reproduce others' work. And while copying can be a worthwhile pursuit for an artist's practice, it's it's walking a very wobbly ethical line when money and mm-hmm. as we'll see a pretty high demand is involved the fashion club's arc is exploring perhaps the most obvious examples of how a person can make some money with an art style that is not necessarily their own right right yeah <laughs> um but at least it's not copying a masterpiece line for line right and and yeah. it has a function it's bringing people you know some momentary joy i suppose or horror sure. Ah, yes. To bring people momentary horror. (laughs) I live for it. (laughs) That's all any artist wants. I will note uh, the the fashion club starts talking about slander and libel and and, uh, people use slander and libel interchangeably, but they're not Mm -hmm. actually interchangeable. Um, slander is spoken, libel is written. Uh, libel actually does include artwork and photography, so that would be the course here. Then again, it's the fashion club bringing action against a caricaturist, so like it's kind of a waste of time even thinking about it. <laughs> yes. I feel like that could be the subtitle of this entire podcast. Yeah, it's like kind of a waste of time even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Context uh, is really important in libel. Yes, yes. yes. It's it is extremely hard to really get nailed for slander or libel. You know, in some ways that's a very good thing, in some ways it's kind of a difficult thing, but but yeah, the standards are difficult. Oh, one of the neat things is you. Uh, one of the easiest ways to actually get nailed for it is to call a doctor a quack. That's oh. like that's like one of the hard lines you really aren't allowed to to cross. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's been a very long time since I took a com law class, but that's one of the few things I I really remember from it. It's like nope, 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 never, 
And I mean, why would you, if you were a journalist, like, why would you, <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, but just something to keep in mind. That's a nice nugget to take away. Yeah, totally. Uh, over in the pizza shop, Jane and Daria are having some pizza and it's Jane's treat. Uh, she made a slick $200 for her first commission, which is no lie, roughly as much as I've gotten for my drawings over the course of my 34 years on this planet. So good for her. Uh, the Days of the Phoenix by AFI Plays, our second AFI song in two weeks, uh, as we accompany Jane to Gary's Gallery. She picks up her second commission check, this one for $350, and just like that, she's paid off both the gazebo and her Girl Scout cookie debt. Um <laughs> She immediately tries to quit, but Gary points out she can save up a bunch of money for supplies and such, and when that doesn't work, he increases her cut of the profits to 60%. She immediately warms to the idea, and when Gary notes that she'd be free to branch out to any artist she'd like, Jane's clearly feeling conflicted. All right, I'm going to throw this one out there. What's the best Girl Scout cookie? Samosas. Okay, awesome. Samosas, hand down. They were always my favorite. They're fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And I look, I know Thin Mints get all the love and they're wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I very much enjoy the Thin Mints, but the samosas are just where it's at. Oh, yeah. And they, and comparatively, they get very little love. Yeah, I don't understand why. No. No. We'll, tur- we'll turn it all around right here. <laughs> yeah. So who knew that the Girl Scout sold their cookies on credit, huh? <laughs> oh, okay. You, you know they're breaking legs whenever they can. <laughs> you know, there's some like, some of the bigger Girl Scouts will <laughs> turn the beret sideways a little bit and crack their knuckles. The green gang. <laughs> yeah. You don't want them coming after you. No, definitely not. So what are our thoughts on Jane's dilemma here? Like, to some extent, in in my view, Gary's right. Like, this is a great way to save up some cash and pay for materials, which for painters, like materials are absurdly expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it a little bit easier, like those materials make it easier for her to work on the things she wants to work on in her spare time. But then, and I mean, we'll get into this, like how much spare time do you end up having if you're working on reproductions <laughs> to keep the money coming in? You know, this is not, you know, Jane's Jane's problem here is not at all you know, unique to her. This is not a new thing for artists whatsoever. Like side hustles are absolutely a thing for artists and creative types of all kinds. Like someone's got to draw the porn and write the erotica. And, and it's <laughs> and it's always an artist with a side hustle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the artist with the side hustle has a lot more energy than I do. <laughs> I mean, I think in theory, yes, it's a good way to make some money and improve your skills, but it's really difficult for an artist to be at an easel for so long or for yeah. a writer to write all day or for a musician to play all day. It's like physically we should just not be doing that, you know? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and our brains need a break. If you read about how often a professional musician, like an, or like an orchestral performer practices their instrument, it's maybe a few hours a day. Right. Right. Um, we're not meant to be slogging through creative processes like we'll see Jane doing, but you know, the commodification of creative works and other capitalist structures forces artists to do just this. 
for what it's worth, I'm also a huge supporter of the four hour workday because, yes. you know, I think <laughs> uh, it just uh, takes a lot more time to be a human than we like to admit. So <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, burnout is a very real thing. Like we've, oh, we talked yeah. about this recently. Like it, it is very real to, you know, even something you super enjoy doing, you do it enough, you're going to get burnt out from it. And then, mm-hmm. and then once that happens, that really sucks because yes. it was a thing you enjoy. <laughs> yes. And now you're like, now I have to find a new thing to yeah. place in this hole in my heart. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. So you draw the porn and write the erotica. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at the Morgan Dorfer residence, Innocent by Fuel plays as Quinn walks into Helen and Jake's room. She tells Helen she wants to sue for defamation of character. But Helen rightly points out that the caricaturist didn't actually do anything wrong. Quinn's obviously not happy about the answer, but that's all Helen's got. So this this episode moves oddly. Um, yeah. And I'm thinking it comes down to scenes not really being punctuated with jokes in the sense that we're used to. Like we're accustomed to scenes in the show ending with witty one-liners or something you know, relatively important, but... Uh, Weber's style here, the scenes just kind of end. Like <laughs> there, there are little there. There's, it's not that there aren't any jokes toward the end of the scenes. Like there, there are, and I mean you'll you'll point it out in a second. But like it, it kind of ends in the downbeat, you know, instead of being like boom. All right, next scene. Yeah, um, the 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 jokes are a little more like nonverbal, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. For example, in the previous scene, Stacy reluctantly raises her hand in favor of seeking legal counsel. So that like, you know, that raising of the hand is the joke. Um, And in this scene, there's kind of two jokes going on, like where Quinn says, ew, what if you're on a date and the pager in your spleen starts beeping? (laughs) Right, <laughs> which is you know the verbal the the more verbal joke, but Jake, who has been sleeping in bed next to them during this entire conversation, just starts snoring really loud. Um, so it's you know that's it's the <laughs> yeah, like I feel like in a in a in a more standard episode, you know that scene cuts off right after Quinn's line. Yeah, absolutely. um, And this one just, it gives a little bit of time to breathe. And, you know, I, I, I don't hate it. I think it's, it's much more in line with like the comedic timing that I would use in in Mm -hmm. my own writing or in, you know, web comics that I've done. It's just so weird to see it here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It feels if, like you said, um, like it kind of happens on the downbeat. So So there's like a little quiet. There's a little silence before you move to, you know, the the commercial cut. You know, yeah. Um, but I, you know, a thought just occurred to me also, and I'm probably reading way too much into this, but you know, Jake is sleeping through this entire conversation uh, about, you know bad art (laughs) or, or, you know, um, you know, making someone pay for the bad art that they did. And we know that Jake has, uh, in the past, you know, 
had a bit of trauma <laughs> surrounding, <laughs> you know, his own art, you know, performing, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, so it, it's point. interesting to kind of like have that in the background. A little hmm. bit, yeah. I would, I would want to hear his take on, yeah. on this. Yeah, just a just an odd little scene. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, back at the Lane residence, Jane notices that Trent's contractors aren't doing anything. Uh, Trent knows laying around doing nothing when he sees it, and he confronts them. They get back to work, but not without calling Trent the man and shattering his self-image. Over at Lawndale High, Jane and Daria are in art class. Jane's telling Daria about how nice it is to be in pure profit mode, but Daria points out what we did a little bit earlier. If you spend all your hobby time on the grind, you don't really have time for it as an actual hobby. Turns out Jane's working on another reproduction in the middle of class, which Ms. Defoe doesn't exactly disapprove of, but she does say that she does say she hopes Jane doesn't lose what makes her unique as an artist. Over in Helen's office, she receives a call from Sandy, who's making the same lawsuit pitch. Well, kind of. First, she basically calls Quinn stupid, <laughs> then makes a push to have the caricaturist disbarred. Uh, Helen, who is exercising just a world of restraint, uh, points out that disbarment only applies to lawyers. Sandy doesn't see the problem, and Helen sighs deeply, now likely more grateful than ever to have the daughter she has. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't see the problem because she said, because you're a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very good. <laughs> oh, wrong side of this interaction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, was like, Dar- we, I don't think we've actually seen a Daria painting at all yet in, in this entire show's run. And so I will say Daria's horse skeleton painting was fucking awesome. And I kind of want it for my wall. It is delightful. Um, I also love her line. She didn't even say anything about my horsey. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I also love how Daria just low key enjoys painting. Like she has a best friend who is awesome at it, but that doesn't stop her from making art too, you know? It's really cool. Yeah. I absolutely appreciate the contractors knowing exactly how to hit Trent right where it hurts. Oh yeah. Yeah. His uh his reaction to being called the man was perfect. <laughs> um as was This is not the first time we've had that joke though, remember? Oh, what was the what was the previous uh, there one? was something there was something um ah oh, of course I'm not gonna remember it now, but it was in one of the most recent episodes where um the word man was being thrown about quite a bit. Um, uh, oh, and of course- Somebody I'm will point it out, it I guarantee Yep. You. Oh, totally. Yeah. This thing will be out five minutes before somebody tweets at us. So. Mm-hmm. Um, How dare you forget? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, Also, I appreciated Trent's observation that nobody would recognize lazing about quite like Trent Lane. <laughs> yes. That's fantastic. Um, just the self-awareness to be like, I know what sitting around doing nothing looks like. <laughs> the fact that he tries to say something. Yeah. You know, I I admire the effort. Yeah. I mean, he's- I'm not sure I would have the, <laughs> the guts. <laughs> you know, he's set the bar pretty low and, and he's clearing it <laughs> to some extent. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know. I believe as how as Jane has said earlier in this series, you know, get people to expect nothing and the littlest something gets them all in a tizzy. You uh, said so tizzy. I did, I did say tizzy. I'll say it again. Um tizzy. So uh 
we, we pointed out a little bit earlier that burnout is a very real thing for creative types who try to monetize their interests. Um, I've experienced it personally with photography. It just, it sucks to look at something that you used to do for fun and then realize that you now think of it as a job. It's that saying about that saying about like doing something you love and never having to work a day in your life is way more complicated than people think it is. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about our education system and that idea, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not going to get into it. Um, But I think that there is this weird thing that happens when you look at the talent as just a function, like a cog in the wheel that makes the rest of it turn, you know, when it becomes your job. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just no fun. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That said, I am at a phase in my life where, like, I have – where I can give my art – or writing, you know, maybe an hour a day, whether that's writing or reading. <laughs> so it's not like it's not like always writing, and a lot of times it's just me like dusting cobwebs out of my brain. <laughs> hey, that's that's something. <laughs> yeah, I I think there's really something um, that's really unsatisfying and bittersweet about that because I know it's the sustainable thing for me to do right now, but I would love more time and, you know, and more generally by that, I mean, like I want to get paid to read and write poems, but never show them to the world. That would just be perfect. (laughs) Thank you. Just putting that out there into the universe. (laughs) See what comes back to me. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what this reminds did you ever have you ever read slash been introduced to possibly by me uh pictures for sad children? No. Okay. So Pictures for Sad Children was this bizarre and really amazing little webcomic back in the day. It was from like 2007. It was by a guy named John Campbell. And there's a whole story behind where this comic eventually ended up and what happened to its creator that, you know, it's well beyond the scope of this podcast, but it is, it is bizarre and also kind of a little, a little sad, but Pictures for Sad Children was probably my favorite webcomic ever. Uh, and it's, it has such a, is there's such a wonderful melancholy about it? And, and it just takes the, it takes, it has a really interesting approach to art and artists and making a living and feeling, you know, just existentially downtrodden mm-hmm. <laughs> about all of it. But it's it, what you were just saying reminded me of one of the, one of the comics that sticks out in my head, which was, um, this guy saying like, oh man, I, you know, I, I I don't. I didn't get to do what I wanted to do for a living. And the person asked him, "Like, well, what did you want to do for a living?" And he's like, "I want to sit in a chair, and I want to have people walk up to me and thank me for doing what I did, even though I, <laughs> even though I don't know what I did." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, I mean that that that's pretty much. It's that <laughs> that is like the. Uh, the end result focus, right? <laughs> Whereas I'm trying to shift from that and be like, I just want to be in the process and that's it. I don't want to have to deal with the end result. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with sending my work out, seeing it, 
out in the world responding to people who have read it. No, I don't want to deal with any of that. I just want, I just want to write (laughs) (laughs) and read. I really, really, I just want to read. (laughs) We ask for so little. I know. I know. Boy. Up in Jane's room, she's working on a reproduction of Dolly's The Persistence of Memory. It's the one with the melting clocks. Um, Trent drops in and suggests she paint the building of the new gazebo. Jane points out that if she had a moment to spare, she absolutely wouldn't spend it painting. Trent also knows burnout when he sees it, and he suggests in his own way that Jane make time for her own stuff. Jane points out in her own way that the money's pretty good, and Trent takes one wild swing and miss in support of Ars Gratia Artis before leaving the room. A little later, Jane's watching Six Ad World, we haven't really talked about that show in a while, uh, and sees a promo for a story about a counterfeiter. We get to see, we get to watch in real time as the idea that she might be working for a legitimate criminal crosses her mind. Uh, possibly the next day, Jane and Daria are walking along when Jane points out the possibility that she's an unknowing accomplice to millions of dollars of fraud and insists that they're going to head down to Gary's gallery to sort this shit out. With that, we roll straight into the end of Act Two. This is just bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. This is, I feel like, when the episode really turns into, I I don't even know. (laughs) It It goes into a a weird world. (laughs) It does. It absolutely does. Um, So, have you you watched Made You Look or This Is a Robbery on Netflix? No. No, I have not. So, there's these two really great little Netflix documentaries. It's one about art forgeries and one about an honest to God art heist. (laughs) Um, And they both involved these like incredible deep dives into the art world among other things and the real life characters around it uh, and around us in general, like people just walking around in everyday life. (laughs) Um, It's just something to behold, like the the sheer personalities on display with, with these different, uh, with these different stories is just absolutely crazy. Made you look is about I, this. I, Oops, sorry. Oh, I was going to say I, I'm going to need to check these out. <laughs> they're they're both fantastic. They're, I think one of them. I think one of them is just a movie. I think the other one is a is a mini series. Uh, neither of them are, are very long. But uh, made you look is about this extremely uh, well regarded and and um, well regarded, well known uh, kind of legendary uh, art museum in New York that uh, ends up. They end up hanging a whole bunch of forgeries uh, by oh accident, and it drags them down. And it's like a it's a multi million, it's millions upon millions of dollars in fraud, and and so it ends up being this like criminal case and this huge investigation into like how the hell did this even happen? Isn't anybody an expert in these things? And of course, <laughs> like they're talking to. Uh, they talk to the curator and they talk to the people who bought the paintings and the people who figured out that the paintings were fake and the, and the people who covered the story, just the, the personalities at play are insane because these are mostly very rich people who live uh, in, a, in a very like elite and rather closed off world. And you can right. kind of tell, you know, um, <laughs> but also there's a few folks in there who are just like super lovable and weird <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's a whole thing. It's, it's a fantastic documentary. And then um, this is a robbery is about, there's a, uh, there's this beautiful museum in Boston where, you know, two folks just walked in 
uh, dressed as police officers, said that they were there checking something out. And then they just tied up the security staff who were, there was only two security staff working there. They tied them up and then spent like an hour and a half just robbing the place and stealing hundreds of millions of dollars of art and just walking out the door with it. Yeah. Um, So this was in the early nineties, I think. Yeah. It remains like the biggest art heist in the history of the planet. And it's just a, again, the people involved with this, like, all, they talk to a number of the people who worked on the security team, and every single one of them is somebody that you'd want to sit down and have a beer with. Like just bizarre individuals. And then they talk to like this guy who was involved with organized crime throughout the entirety of Boston. Like this dude who is who like so they do they do this one quick bit where they're like, you know, who would be involved with something like this? And then they they do quick cuts between like five or six different. There's like an FBI, there's an FBI official, there's a journalist, there's there's a crime reporter, there's a cop, and they all say the same name. And then it cuts to this dude just like sitting there on camera in like a, a tank top t shirt. Um, <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, I totally, you know, I, I killed those three or four guys. I did this and this and this and this, but I didn't do that thing. And it's like <laughs> it's bizarre and it's so it's so crazy and it's it's such an interesting story. I don't know. I just spent way too long ranting about it, but I, I can't recommend it enough. It's really cool, especially like in the context of watching this episode. Uh it's just it's just neat to check out. Okay. I will do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that I've spent okay. ten minutes of everybody's time. <laughs> uh, this this is kind of tough to watch. Like I, I don't know about you, but just like with the story of D really hitting home with us as writer types, like this one's kind of hitting home with me all over again. But I'm also like not finding myself as interested in this episode as I was with the story of D. Like there are definitely moments without a doubt, but a lot of it feels like it's just kind of falling flat for me, and I just kind of have to see how the third act wraps it up. Right. There seems to be so much commentary on the artist's life in this last season. Um it's almost like they knew the end was nigh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so so can we actually like mention the fact that that Jane's delusions of grandeur are just like bonkers? <laughs> <laughs> like Okay, so yes, art heists exist <laughs> and forgeries <laughs> happen. Um, and but like, wow, how tired is she to like watch the television and immediately be convinced that she is part <laughs> of that kind of thing? Um, I think that's also a bit indica- uh, indicative of her age and yes. inexperience, you know, to think she is that good. I mean, she's awesome, but she's also in high school. Yeah, she, she's extraordinarily talented, but she's also like 17. <laughs> yeah, like chill, girl. <laughs> Maybe sleep a little bit. Please, please go to sleep. <laughs> Lots of great Trent stuff too. Um, 
you know, Trent walks into Jane's room and Jane says, Trent, you're up early. And he's like, yeah, those contractors said they'd have something done by two o'clock. So I figured I'd better get up and check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and when he, they're talking about her burnout, uh, he goes, Hey, I'd rather balance my artistic statement than my bank statement. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> she was like, I don't know. I thought I had something there. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love it. It's, it's again just fantastic work for for Weber on on Trent. All right. So Act Three opens at Gary's gallery, where Jane and Daria are standing outside planning their caper. Daria is meant to distract Gary while Jane goes in and checks the invoice book to see who bought her last painting. They head inside, and Jane introduces Daria as her friend, who is quote very interested in art recreations. The subterfuge actually works to some extent, but proves pointless when Gary divulges without prompting that Steve Taylor, better known as Brittany's dad, is the one who bought Jane's last painting. Um, <laughs> when I heard Steve Taylor, I was like, you mean the guy from Aerosmith? The guy from Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot who he was. <laughs> Man, what a what a get it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that episode of Daria that guest starred Steve Tyler? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I do appreciate the the planning of the heist <laughs> that, that uh, Jane and Daria were doing. Um, where Daria asks, how am I supposed to distract Gary? And Jane says, I don't know, use your womanly attributes. <laughs> Daria just responds, gotcha, I'll give birth. <laughs> what a turn that would be <laughs> in the episode. <laughs> Remember that episode where they had Steven Tyler on and Daria gave birth? We ranked it number one. <laughs> oh yes, we had no choice. Uh, it's a it's a weird thing to appreciate, but I also I like that Daria and Jane's little heist, uh, despite Daria's like kind of stilted approach, basically worked to perfection until it just turned out that it wasn't necessary whatsoever. Yeah, I'm glad it didn't take too long because every moment in that place. It just made my skin crawl. Like that guy speaks in sales pitch. Yes. <laughs> and I hate it. Yeah. It's real bad. He is uh -huh. his prime scumbag. <laughs> and just like that, Mia by Chevelle plays in the background as Jane and Daria walk up to the Taylor's doorstep. Brittany answers the door and is more than happy to show Jane and Daria the dead animal related artwork. There's a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Not that any not that any amount is particularly sensible. Um, no ceramic tigers though. Uh, but Jane asks if they could see some of the other more expensive seeming stuff. Uh, they're in the middle of checking out of checking that out when Steve interrupts. Jane asks Steve if his new Van Gogh is an original and Steve laughs her off. No, he says he bought it from a guy downtown who has a bunch of quote hacks churning out copies. This copy isn't bad at all, he adds, except for the parts where the brushwork gets pretty lazy. We get to see Jane's heart sink in real time. Mm. And that's it for our visit to the Taylors. Poor Jane. Yeah. Oh, Steve Tyler. Or Taylor. Mm. Taylor. <laughs> not Tyler. No, not Steve Tyler. He so so here's another guy who speaks in a way that makes me want to just punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who displays hunting trophies or art depicting animals and, you know, dead or hunters and dead animals, <laughs> you know, especially by the entrance of their house, it's just sending a really aggressive 
elitist message to their guests and it's so 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 gross yeah it's it's gnarly um i don't know i just i have so little patience or interest <laughs> for for anything even remotely along those lines but they used to have the ceramic tigers it used to be really nice <laughs> yeah where'd they go huh i don't know how many uh, animals were harmed in the making of the ceramic tiger probably zero and of course you, you, your heart breaks for jane in this mm-hmm. yeah in this uh in this bit like there's a chance this there's blah. There's a chance this is ground we cover in the very next scene. Uh, actually, I'll go ahead and say yes, this is ground we will cover in the very next scene. Um, but it's interesting to see her reaction here. Um, Jane's been doing these reproductions because it pays extremely well for a high school age painter, but also to some extent, she's feeding that internal beast that all creatives have, where it feels really, really good to see people appreciate your work and know they're willing to pay even a moderate sum of money for it. Um Perhaps even more importantly for her, though, it felt really good to be compared to the masters of the craft. Like she was wrapped by the prospect of of her reproductions being so good that they were legitimately mistaken for pieces by Van Gogh and Dolly. You know, to be called a hack, even indirectly, and to have the flaws in her work pointed out by someone like Steve Taylor has really got to hurt. Yeah. You know, never ask for someone's opinion about your art without revealing that you're the artist. Yes. You're just going to have your heart broken. Yeah. Or someone's going to think you're a real douche when they realize who you are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking back to the literary magazine at Rowan where we would occasionally read a piece by someone in the room without realizing it was by someone in the room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and every now and then you would get someone just savaging a piece uh, that you know was written by the person sitting right next to them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Christ. I know. I tried to minimize that as much as possible, but oh. yeah. It's sometimes it's unavoidable. It just sucks. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, be be measured and sensible in your critique of art. You never know. <laughs> you never know who's standing around. Um, and how easily their heart is broken. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, so slideshow by Travis plays as Jane and Daria leave Brittany's house. Jane is upset. And I started to write notes for this conversation, but realized I was basically just copying it word for word. So I think <laughs> we're just going to go ahead and play the clip. Jeez, Daria, even a cheese ball like Mr. Taylor can tell I'm a hack. Lazy brushwork, he said. Coming from a guy whose home is decorated in early petting zoo, I wouldn't worry about it. But he was right, damn it. Hey, Gary can't keep your paintings in stock. You're a star copyist. You've been painting your butt off. They can't all be your best work. None of them are my best work. Hell, none of them are my work. Lately, I haven't even wanted to do original stuff. Damn it, Daria, I never got creative block before. Your creativity has been channeled into other areas, like inventing paranoid delusions centered around non-existent art counterfeiting rings. Ding, 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 ding. My ego couldn't take just being a hack. I had to be a super hack. Or maybe I just wanted Gary to be a con man so I could quit without remorse. Sure, because it's not like you'll have any remorse if you stay. Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah. There there is so much to love about this conversation, even though it's kind of doing our job for us. Oh, (laughs) very, very much. Yes, it's nail meat head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. so like Jane's not upset just because she was called a hack and not just because the person calling her a hack was Steve Taylor, but primarily because he was right about it. 
um, you know, Jane's pointing out that none of the pieces are her best work or even her work shows that she, like she understands her talent and what she's capable of. And she has a healthy respect for her own abilities. And Daria, meanwhile, is being supportive, but also not afraid to point out that Jane deluded herself into believing there might be a massive fraud ring based on the sheer quality of her reproductions. And of course, Jane has the self-awareness to note that said delusion was ego-driven and that maybe she was looking for a reason to quit the gig without feeling too bad about it. It's just a lot of really solid work with characters looking into their motivations and speaking with self-awareness you don't really tend to expect. I don't know. Weber just absolutely knocked it out of the park here, I think. Yeah. And and you knocked out that analysis. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, good job. <laughs> Someone's going to make and- a massive counterfeit ring based on the. <laughs> Um, I think that this scene, you know, what we're talking about also points back to the caricature artist in the park. Um, Like there's a way to make money in a style that's not your own, but how much energy do you have to put into developing that style and setting up those gigs Mm -hmm. before it becomes your art and not just a side hustle? Right. right. Yeah. It becomes everything. Um then again, to be fair, I I guess I'm going to like kind of play a little devil's advocate in like a sidelong kind of way. And yeah. for a long time art was seen as a trade rather than, you know, a pure pursuit pure pursuit of creativity, right? right? Sculptors, painters, musicians, writers throughout history have worked on commission. If they were lucky, they found a patron and could create more of what they wanted. Um, the thing is that those artists have lived in cultures that valued art, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> and while our culture enjoys art, they just don't want to pay for it. <laughs> that's such a that's such a great distinction to point out. Yeah, I I think that I think that's where the artist experience um, experiences that split in identity between like what they want and what the paying customer wants, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's such a great way to put it is the idea of like. No, people still love art. It's just that, you know, we we suddenly expect it for for free. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we think that it's just something that can be churned out and we can pay $7 for a ticket maybe or, right. you know, find it for free on the internet and that's it. Uh, I mean, it's the idea that like art is not difficult to make, which is just completely false. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Art, art, go, being an artist is the lazy option. Right. <laughs> yeah. These, are, these are the people who don't know how hard it is to write one goddamn sentence sometimes. Yep. <laughs> Back at the Lane residence, the siren song of the contractor catnap has lured Trent in. He and the men are asleep at the foot of the unfinished gazebo. Uh, Jane arrives pissed that the job isn't finished. She gives the contractors four hours to finish or they're not getting paid. They point out there are only three of them, but Jane counts four, and Trent realizes he's going to have to hold a hammer. Good on you, Jane Lane. Dude, I love how she just 
Oh man, she just gives it to him. <laughs> <laughs> she gives him the business. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And I also love when the contractor hands Trent the hammer and Trent says, Ew. <laughs> Ew. It's yeah. very good. <laughs> yes. Uh uh, over at the Morgendorfer residence, Helen answers the door to find Tiffany. Helen immediately launches into what she told the other fashion club members. You can't sue the damn caricature artist. Tiffany's cool with that, but now they're going to need someone to break his fingers. <laughs> like those guys on that show. Uh-huh. Dark turn for Tiffany. Yeah. <laughs> also, what show is she referring to? Like, like every gangster show ever. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. Like my suspicion is The Sopranos, but I've never actually watched more than a few episodes of it. So I don't know if that's like a very specific reference or just kind of a general one. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is a really funny scene. Um, yes. Because we're getting more of Tiffany, which surprisingly is something that we love. <laughs> <laughs> um but I but she's going to the lawyer to find <laughs> someone to break the artist's fingers. It could be completely dumb or absolutely genius. It's only one way to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, Helen, do you know anyone who who can break some fingers? <laughs> I guarantee you she does. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the question of whether or not she divulges the info. I think it's her. I think she does the finger. She's breaking. the one. She's the yeah. yeah. She got her practice as a Girl Scout and <laughs> yes, <laughs> collecting those cookie debts. Uh, over it around. <laughs> over at the newly completed Lane Gazebo, Darius talking with Jane and Trent. Jane's resigned, although Gary told her the door is always open. That's when Jane's parents roll in back early from their whatever the hell they were doing. Uh, they suggest to Jane, who's sitting in the gazebo, that it might not be safe to do so. In fact, they really ought to tear this old tacky thing down. Jane says Wynne told them it was a special gazebo, and Jane's parents point out it wasn't at all a special gazebo. That was just a, <laughs> that was just a lie. They told, they told Wynne to keep him from changing his name to Ronald. Jane, <laughs> Jane vows to murder her flighty brother. <laughs> I love this story arc. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it all comes together. Um, at the Morgendorfer residence that night, Quinn's talking to Sandy on the phone. They vent about there being no justice in the world, and Quinn suggests Sandy burn the caricature. Sandy says she thought Quinn had it, and we have a nice little two-second mystery before we cut to Stacy's room, where she opens her closet and looks at the caricature hanging neatly. That's when we get our first look at the actual caricature. It is, in fact, deeply unflattering for Quinn, Sandy, and Tiffany, who all appear to be some amount of mean-spirited or clueless. But not Stacy whose caricature is basically something straight out of Bambi. Stacy smiles at the caricature, and we go to credits with Oasis's Listen Up. That ending is adorable. It really <laughs> is. I really like the arc for the gazebo story because now that I think about it, it has that kind of anticlimax that the – that like we were talking about with the the offbeat scenes. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it's 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 got that like it's got that downbeat ending of like, oh. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Yeah, that 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 that. 
<laughs> also, just amazing that the parents made up that story. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. The yeah. naming gazebo. And that he got this far in life believing that it was true. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's one of those things where you can totally – it's a very Lane family resolution. Um, but it's also like I can kind of see that just going down in a normal family. Like I can kind of see just convincing the child like, no, that's the naming gazebo. We can't do anything to it. Like you got you got your name in the naming gazebo, so we can't change your name. <laughs> um, like that's exactly the sort yeah. of dumb dumb shit lie that a kid would believe yeah. um and you know it, win should probably have figured it out by now but yeah um, probably but yeah you can totally see the origins of it and it's it's a really charming little thing i don't know also it's a pretty nice gazebo that you know they have yeah did the lane parents really not realize that it's totally new <laughs> Because just- <laughs> it's new. <laughs> you know, they're just it, that unfamiliar with it. Yeah, they really just have stopped looking at it. Right. <laughs> it also uh, occurs to me that the gazebo is a piece of art, right? Yes. Not the sort of art that Trent is accustomed to making. So his arm is so sore from that labor. In the same way that Jane's arm was sore when painting the dolly piece. Ah. Bam. Okay. Boom. Mic drop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of along those lines. Like, I, I don't know if I was just slow on the uptake, but the the scene in Stacy's room brought the entirety of the Fashion Club arc, like, right into focus for me. Um, I still think it dragged like hell, and it made Quinn, Sandy, and Tiffany all look some level of absurd or even downright stupid. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think this final bit is just totally fantastic. And and for me, again, possibly slow on the uptake, um, it, just, it finally ties the whole arc into the main arc in a really nice way. Like both Jane and the fashion club learn something about themselves through the artwork created in the episode. You know, Jane learned something from her own painting's dishonesty, while the fashion club learned something from the character artist's honesty. None of the parties involved liked what the artwork revealed about them. <laughs> um, <laughs> And if we if we want to dig a bit deeper, like look at how revealing the responses are. Like for Jane, it meant the art had to go. For the fashion club, it meant the artist had to go. Um, Jane's response to what the art told her was, "I can do better than this." The fashion club's response was, "How dare anyone say we're not perfect?" I don't know. There's it's it it comes together very neatly to me. Yeah, it's um, it's just such an interesting episode. It, it is complex and. I I fear that we it's one of those situations where we're reading way more into it than was intended but like I don't know. Well, hello, <laughs> hello everybody and welcome to Morgandor. <laughs> <laughs> but like in an unfounded kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean I think that that it was well done in that respect like the, the threads do finally come together um i do think that i suspected stacy way earlier than you did (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but I do remember there being a point where, when I was watching the episode and be, and I was like, wait, where is the caricature? Like, what, <laughs> what happened to it? Um, way before they asked, right? So yeah, you're um, you're a couple steps ahead of me then, because I I had totally forgotten about. It. <laughs> well, maybe you just wrote off the the storyline as superfluous. That's you yeah, know, that's a distinct and, possibility. And as a result, just did not clock it, right? <laughs> yeah, and then they and then they came back around on it, and they got me. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. Do we do we have anything else, or do we want to head into our episode rankings? I guess we should rank this thing. Oh boy! All right. Well, we have ex- exactly as long as our interstitial music to figure out exactly where it goes. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Okay. So where's it going? Uh. I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Well, what do you say? Okay. I'm looking down actually at another, uh, another art episode, another Jane art episode. And it happens to be one episode away from another Dan Weber episode. Uh, and that would be number 27 arts and crass. Yeah. I think this is definitely above that. Yeah. 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 I, um, I I I think we've established that I wasn't that big of a fan of Arts and Crafts. <laughs> no, no, I was I was a much bigger fan of Arts and Crafts than you were. But I also think this is a this is a better episode than yes. that. It's it's like, objectively yes. Um, yes. I don't know if it's necessarily funnier. I think Arts and Crafts was actually pretty funny. Um, but I think just like as a as a crafted piece of, of writing of television, uh, mm-hmm. I just think it it's better um so that i i guess you know where do where do we think this might top out at then like is this so i don't think this is better than the misery chick oh god uh no um right so there's a so that's number 14 right so we've got it surrounded (laughs) (laughs) so i'm i'm thinking Oh, this is so hard. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> I'm th- okay. I'm thinking, is this better than Lane Miserable? Uh, I was actually looking at that one too. Because I'm I'm also looking at it happened one night, which is really funny and entertaining. Yes. And I'm like, is that as funny as, as it happened one night? I don't know. It's definitely <laughs> It's definitely not as funny. Like there's, it's a there's completely some... different kind of episode. Yes. So it's so hard to compare these things. But right. I guess I, we I, have to do it because this is a standard that we set for ourselves at the beginning of this journey. And... <laughs> and it's one that you're not at all bitter about. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. We're going to see it through the end. <laughs> We've gotten this far. Come on. We're only doing this like another seven times. Like... <laughs> Um, oh, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I think It Happened One Nut is definitely funnier than this episode. Um, I think as a, again, like as a, as a crafted piece of writing, I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it's better crafted than this episode. Yeah. Um, so I guess it, it kind of depends on 
necessarily what you're looking for. Yeah. Um, I think like where the strength of this episode lies is yes, the the writing, how it's how it's crafted. Right. Um okay, then let's look up at like Legends of the Mall and Speed Trapped, which are very different oh, kinds boy. of episodes as well. Extremely different kinds of episodes. Right. Um, I got to say, all right, hear, hear out this argument. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Speed Trapped is, it's it's your road tripping movie, so, or it's your road tripping episode of Daria, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, aside from like the, aside from Road Warrior, it's, you know, your, maybe your primary other second, you know, it's your primary other road trip episode. Um Let's see. It's also a much more typical episode of Daria, uh, even though it's kind of, it's like an atypical situation, but it has a lot of the same beats. It has a lot of the same humor to it. It feels much more like an episode of Daria. Legends of the Mall doesn't feel at all like an episode of Daria. (laughs) It feels like an (laughs) anthology special, Um, but it was also like wildly entertaining. It did something totally different um, as a, as a, piece as a crafted episode of television it works really well because it it you know it doesn't try to do it doesn't necessarily try to do too much it says we're going to take this very fun conceit and we're just going to give it to you yeah <laughs> you know, here's these three short urban legends and we're just going to have fun with it and it ended up being really fun so i think somewhere in the middle of that somewhere between that completely bonkers not at all daria episode of daria and that uh, much more classic, but also very well done episode of Daria. I feel as though there might be room for art burn, which uh-huh. has a little bit of, has some elements of both. You have, yeah. you know, some some very good character work here with with Trent and and Jane. Um, you know, that conversation between Jane and Daria carries a lot of weight for me. Like the you know, that like very self-aware, just straight up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like they listened to Morgan Dork's 20 years before it aired and decided that they were going to get it out of the way. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, even though this is an episode that isn't where Daria isn't front and center, you know, um, Daria does, I, I th- Daria plays an important role and and I think that like Jane's I don't how do I say this um I really enjoy Jane episodes you know yes, yes absolutely <laughs> and I and I think that this one um you know it it has weight it has complexity and you know it's Jane on the cusp of you know becoming becoming an artist you know out in the world you know and it's yeah. really interesting to watch totally i mean it's, you know i think like jane daria quinn like it, on any given episode like, like those are our three favorite characters generally mm-hmm. speaking um and you know i think we We've gotten to see Jane. We've gotten to see the vulnerabilities of Jane a little bit more than we've gotten to see them in Daria. I think, mm-hmm. um, 
just because Jane, Jane is a little bit more expressive. She's a little bit more emotional. You know, she, things hit home a little harder for her a little bit more easily. Um, and, and so it's, it's, you know, it's always an interesting thing, but we don't get to see it a ton. Uh, and, and it's nice to see it here. And this is similar to how the story of D hit home for Daria, because it's something that she, you know, it's, it's something that she values about herself, her ability to write, her ability to put an interesting story together. Um, you know, that hit home with her hard. And this is doing the same thing for Jane. Like this is hitting her right at home. Like this is, you know, what do you, what would you do for a living if you could? Well, I would paint. All right. Well, here, now you're painting for a living. Isn't this great? Well, no, it kind of sucks shit. <laughs> like, um, you know, there's, there's guess- something to that. And then, you know, to take into her, take into account like her sense of herself as an artist and being called out by fucking Steve Taylor of all people who called her a yeah. hack. Um, yeah. I, I guess what it comes down to for me <laughs> is that I really wish that Jane's um, sudden suspicion that she's part of some counterfeiting operation was not, spurred by six sad world like it just felt really (laughs) really abrupt yeah really a little forced like we were missing some kind of natural transition you know or some piece earlier on in the episode that would have made that make sense you know yeah yeah i think so i think they do try to they do try to explain it away a little bit uh saying that like you know jane um Jane sort of deluded herself into that by, you know, in some way looking for a reason to back out of the thing with Gary's gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of like, they try to back their they way patch into it, it up later. Kind of. but, yeah. But like, as, yeah. as we've talked about before, the solution isn't to patch it up later. It's usually to go back to the beginning yes. and figure out, you know, foundationally what needs to be built (laughs) right right if you are if you are admitting later on in your own piece that that you made a character act out of character (laughs) then maybe go back and make them not act out of character yes yes uh easier said than done of course easier said than done but of course you know uh, that's who are we really (laughs) (laughs) as two schmucks with a podcast that's the sort of stuff that we get to talk about (laughs) i suppose (laughs) all right right. so yeah i think we're i think that means we're pretty comfortable with this sitting at 19 i'm cool with it all right so yeah that is number 19 Uh, I paste stuff in so it ends up looking all weird. This was season five, episode seven, Heartburn, which, all right, let's look at the title. It is a pond on heartburn, said and done. All right. Yes. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) We got to it. Uh, All right. So, yeah, that is. Or, 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 uh oh. Arm burn. (laughs) What? Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we don't look in the titles. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So that gives us uh, season five, episode seven, Art Burn, sitting at number 19 between Speed Trapped and Legends of the Mall. I think that's a very respectable spot for it. I um, think so too. It's also sitting, you know, it means Dan Weber kind of has like his own little section here in the, uh, here in the rankings. 
which are now 61 episodes long. Jesus Christ. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've done a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. All right. So I think we have just a little bit of, we had some fan stuff that's actually really, really crazy and kind of cool. Uh, oh, I haven't seen this. Yeah, this is nuts. So why don't we go ahead and dive into that? We'll get one more little interstitial. Doop. Okay, so I'm just, I'm just going to take this one, if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, go okay, for it. Cool. So a uh, friend of the podcast, Cass, uh, sent this along a little bit ago via Twitter. Um, and we'll have a link to the tweet and the, the video in the tweet in our show notes. But if you've been kicking around the internet for a long time, you've probably seen something at one point or another about a condition called Alexandria's Genesis. It's one of those posts... Um, it's one of those posts, like the ones that got made in like the early 2000s and just kind of never stopped circulating the web. So it's gotten like hundreds of thousands of, you know, like reblogs and stuff over the years. And uh, it's gotten enough attention over the years to the point where health information website Healthline has an article about it uh, saying, quote, Alexandria's Genesis is an internet myth about perfect human beings who I- whose eyes turn purple during infancy. According to Snopes, a popular fact-checking site, rumors about this so-called rare genetic mutation have been circulating the internet since at least as far back as 2005. The myth of Alexandria's genesis, which has several odd origin stories, claims that people with this condition are born with purple eyes or have eyes that turn purple shortly after birth. They also have pale skin and well-proportioned bodies that don't gain weight. These perfect humans supposedly live to be well over 100 years old and produce very little bodily waste. So one of these odd origin stories, the correct one, as it turns out, is that Alexandria's Genesis actually has its roots in Daria fan fiction. What? So as you'll see in the video we link in the show notes, or you can check it yourself out on or you can check it out yourself on Snopes or whatever. Alexandria's Genesis was invented by author Cameron Auburn in 1998 as an explanation for why the Mary Sue characters in her Daria fan fiction were basically perfect human beings. Auburn has reflected on this as, quote, my projection of my personal gender identity and body image issues that I was starting to confront in my 20s. Wow. Yeah, it is bonkers. Um, so this thing, this thing, I... So I'm pretty sure I had seen this at some point or another in my many, many years of being way too online, but it's especially big in like Tumblr circles, if I remember correctly. But yeah, it, it's just this, this post about this condition that, you know, like they describe, and there's all sorts of symptoms, uh, quote unquote symptoms of it, but it, it's bizarre and it has its own articles all over the place because it gets passed around enough to where, you know, there's a lot of people who, who you know, they'll reblog it or retweet it, be like, oh, yeah, you know, this, isn't this condition crazy? Like, yeah, because it's not real. Um, wow. But it's it's such a neat and, and bizarrely niche thing uh, that's been all over the internet, and it has its roots in, of all things, Daria fan fiction. I really that cannot stress- Yeah. I, I cannot stress enough just how deep the rabbit hole goes with Daria fan fiction- <laughs> Um, we, yeah, if we ever decide to plumb those depths, we, uh, yeah. I, you know, (laughs) yes, a rabbit hole (laughs) would be, 
and it, I have I have to say though that like if I were a person writing Daria fan fiction like as a twelve year old, you know, <laughs> and then I, I I would never ever want people on a podcast. 20 years later talking about uh, it. Uh, you know uh, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah, I'd be horrified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's uh, Alexandria's Genesis. It is bizarre. Go read up Purple on it. And eyes. Then, yeah. Uh, and then go check some of those old stories. They're, they're still around. You can find them actually on uh, Outpost Aria Reborn. Uh, link is in the show notes. Um, it, it's it's got them on there. Outpost Daria Reborn basically has like, I think the most complete archive of Daria fan fiction. Um, yeah, it is. It's bonker stuff. All right. <laughs> I, th- I think that was everything. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm going to cut out so much of that searching on game facts. That's just, <laughs> that's just so much dead wasted there. All right. So I think let's, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. All right. That does wrap it up for this episode of Morgan Dorks. Uh, check out our Patreon. You can sign up at patreon.com slash morgandorks. For a buck a month, you can support this silly little thing we do and listen to an unedited version of each podcast a few days before it airs. Uh, as always, please feel free to check us out on Twitter at morgandorks, email us at morgandorks at gmail.com, or check out our website, anchor.fm slash morgandorks. We're also on Facebook. Just search for morgandorks. We'll show up. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Outpost Daria Reborn. Link is in the show notes. Go check mm-hmm. out some of that fan fiction. <laughs> and as always, thank you, Nissa. Hey, Rob. Thank you. Yay. And Yay. thank you, listeners. We will see you again in two weeks for – oh, I need to hit the outro music. There we go. We'll see you again in two weeks for Season 5, Episode 8, One J at a Time, here on Morgan Dorks. Morgandorks.